I'm Carolyn, and today's scripture reading is from James chapter 5, verses 13 through 20. Is anyone among you in trouble? He should pray. Is anyone happy? Let him sing songs of praise. Is any one of you sick? He should call the elders of the church to pray over him and anoint him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise him up. If he has sinned, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. Elijah was a man just like us. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. Again he prayed, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth produced its crops. My brothers, if one of you should wander from the truth, and someone should bring him back, remember this. Whoever turns a sinner from the error of his way will save him from death and cover over a multitude of sins. Amen. Good morning, everybody. Can you all hear me okay? Awesome. Uh, there's an echo. Uh, How about now? Now? <laughs> okay, well, please feel free to stop me. Oh my gosh. I have a terrible relationship with this microphone and I'm almost certain it's cut. So I'm gonna do this so to save myself some. Morning. My name is Wes, and I'm uh, one of the leaders here. I help oversee life groups and communion. And if you're new with us this morning, or if you're visiting us, I want to really welcome you this morning. Um, if you have felt like you wanted to get connected more into the church, please feel free to come and see us in the Welcome Center after this service. We would love to connect with you, chat with you, grab some free coffee with you. Um, and just see how we can get you more connected into the church. And if you are new with us this morning, we are ending our sermon series on the book of James. How's everybody feeling about that? <laughs> that was a test and you all failed. Um, uh, but before we get on there, I have to take this opportunity to ask how everyone's been enjoying the Football World Cup. Yeah, awesome, awesome. I went to a new barber the other day, and I walked in, and uh, first thing he asked me was like, hey, do you mind if I put the football on? And I was like, yeah, absolutely. And he was like, who's your team? And I was like, well, I'm from South Africa, and so I would be supporting South Africa, but we're just really bad at the moment. So I'm supporting um, other African teams, and right now it's Ghana, but I was like, oh, but you know, but Ghana doesn't really have a good midfield at the moment, so I'm really not putting a lot of stake in them. So my, my second team after that is English, is England. Um, half, my, half my side of my family is English. So I was like, I think I'm gonna end up really rooting for them. Um, but we'll see, you know, I'm not really sure. And he was like, oh, he was like, oh, I, I was talking about American football. <laughs> And I was like, oh, cool, mm-hmm, awesome. And uh, 
Anyways, uh, it actually turned out to be a great barber, uh, and he had great haircut, all of that stuff. But that's all to say, uh, great, great start. Um, I've been enjoying it. It's been a great World Cup. I highly recommend watching it. Okay. Um, so uh, with this, I thought, like, let's take a quick recap of the book of James that we've gone through. And uh, I decided that I would try condense the whole book of James into one sentence for everyone. How does that sound? Okay. So for, for James, for me, the big takeaway is that James is all about having, both having faith and acting without faith. Um, another way of saying it is that James is all about practical theology. He doesn't just want us to think about our faith. He wants us to implement our faith and for our faith to be holistic throughout our lives, whether it's our thinking, feeling, and doing. He wants our faith to affect every single aspect of our life. Um, in the vineyard, we have this phrase called doing the stuff. And it comes from uh, one of our founders, John Wimber, and he went to uh, the leaders in his churches that, uh, uh, one day, and he said, when do we get to do the stuff Jesus did in the gospel? He was like, we read all, this, all these things, and he was going to church for a couple of years at that point, and he was like, when do we get to do the stuff? And they pretty much answered saying, well, that was for back then. But we honestly believe that we get to do the stuff today too. And that's exactly what James is talking about. Um, Jesus said that we have the exact same access to the power of the Holy Spirit that he did in his time when he came to be with us on earth. So I'm getting ahead of myself um, today. But this, today, this morning, we're specifically focusing on what James is calling us to do and, um, at the end of his book. And that is to pray. Um, James has spent the majority of his time telling us what to do, and now he's telling us to pray, which is quite interesting. But before we go on, how many of you, you don't have to put your hands up, this is all rhetorical, I'm not going to scare you right now. How many of you struggle with prayer? Uh, how many of you feel like prayer is something we should leave to the professionals, to the clergy, to the people with the collars around their neck, um, which I love, by the way. I, I really hope we do do that because I think they're awesome. But um, I think for a lot of us, though, prayer is not that easy. For some of us, it really is. Some of us have this burning passion inside to pray all the time. And some of us want to run a mile at the thought of it. Uh, some of us have had really weird experiences with prayer, right? Anyone had a really experience when someone's prayed with you and you're like, eh, I don't know about that. That seems a bit weird. Or some of us have heard a thousand, um, thousand images of water, right? That um, everything is related to water. I remember I was in the airport. We were traveling back to South Africa. And uh, this is both a weird experience. But anyways, I, I ran into one of... Uh, one of the leaders of the UK vineyard. Um, and I were, were huge admirers of this couple. And um, I just had to go up to them. And I was like, hey, my name is Wes. You don't know me from a bar of soap, but I just want to say I really appreciate you guys. Um, and I really have enjoyed the way that you've led. And she stopped me and she said, wait. She was like, something is happening inside of you right now. And I was like, what? 
I was like, oh, I was like, no, no, I'm just saying hi, I don't know. And she was like, let's pray. So in the middle of Heathrow Airport, she stopped me and was like, I think we should pray right now. And we prayed. And she told me that um, the church I was a part of back then, we were going to see a, a huge number of people come to know um, Jesus. And she gave a water image. But... Um, but what actually happened was her prophecy sort of came true. Uh, we, uh, the church I was a part of went from being around 50 people to around 400 people in the space of a year. So it was pretty crazy, and it happened in the middle of Heathrow Airport. So that was a weird experience, but it was a good experience. Some people have had really bad weird experiences, and I've had those too. And I've got more than enough stories. We don't have enough time this morning. I'm moving on. Okay. But there are also some of us who literally hear God every time we pray, right? I had a friend like that who just could just connect with God, would write down a whole journal of what God was saying to her. And some of us hear nothing. And we're like, where are you, God? I am one of those people. I grew up in very heavily Pentecostal circles where God's voice was heavily emphasized, and I never heard God's voice. And I always associated God's silence with abandonment. And it's only recently that I've come to know that God's silence is not the absence of God's love. But that's for another sermon. Some of us may be coming from backgrounds where prayer is actually written down and planned out three weeks in advance and said up on stage very formally. Um, some of us get on our knees 10 times a, um, a service, right? If you've been to an Anglican uh, service, if you've been to a Catholic service, even an Eastern Orthodox service, there's a lot of um, getting on your knees sometimes and then getting back up and you're like, I don't know what's going on, but I'm doing it anyway, right? But this morning, I want to look at two things. And I think James is talking about prayer that can encompass all those things. But there's some stuff we can draw about, draw from what he's saying. But before we do that, I want to look at why prayer is so important to James. Last week, we saw how James asked the church to respond to their suffering. This week, we continue that strain but he's really emphasizing the actions we need to take. And for James, an action is to pray. And that got me thinking, and I was quite well perplexed about that because everything up until this point has been very practically orientated for James. James is like, you've got to be very practical in your faith. And today, when we think of prayer, often we get criticized by a lot of people for saying, oh, you only pray but never put anything into action, right? We hear that quite a lot. Like when there's a disaster, it's always thoughts and prayers, but it's like we need action too. And I, I totally think that's true. But I just found it really curious that James has decided to end his book with saying that the primary action we need to take is to actually pray. And so that got me thinking about why this is so important for James, the action guy is for us to stop and pray. So uh, let's talk about that for a second. For some of you don't, that don't know, James is Jesus' brother. And from what we can see in the Gospels, James never believed that Jesus was the Messiah. And when you think about it, that makes a lot of sense. Can you imagine 
first of all, growing up in a very Jewish household where they knew the law, they knew their history, and they knew what it meant for someone to claim that they were the chosen one, the Messiah. So just for a second, imagine you grew up with a sibling that constantly went around saying they were the chosen one. They were the Messiah. They were the son of God. They were really, really special. I would be pretty ticked off. And I probably wouldn't believe them. Um, there's enough drama that happens within families, right? I don't know, does your family have drama? Or are you drama free, like no one on this earth? Right, can you imagine how drama-filled Jesus' household must have been amongst his siblings anyway? Jesus was probably like, I'm good, you guys continue. <laughs> but for James and his brothers, this must have been a really big deal, and they must have been really ticked off. In fact, in um, John 7, we see here that they tell Jesus, to, they say, leave here and go to Judea where your followers can see your miracles. You can't become famous if you hide like this. If you can do such wonderful things, show yourself to the world. Right after that, it says, for even his brothers didn't believe him. So they weren't telling him to do this for his own good. They were doing it because they were wanting him to see if he would trip up and make a fool of himself. They were saying, go do it. Yeah, you're the chosen one. Go do all these special things you've been talking about, and let's see what happens. They didn't believe in him. And it makes sense. If I, if I went around doing that, my sisters, oh my gosh, I couldn't even tell you what they, they would be saying. But then something really interesting happens. In Acts, oh, and by the way, James wasn't there for Jesus' death either. So James was so ticked off with Jesus, he didn't even bother to go there when Jesus died. And so at the end of this, though, we find in Acts 1, we see this scripture verse. And it says, here are the names who the, who, of those who were present. And this is now after Jesus' ascension, when the disciples are gathering, figuring out what to do. And it says, Peter, John, James, Andrew, Philip, Thomas, Bartholomew, Matthew, James, Simon, and Judas. They all met together and were constantly united in prayer, along with Mary, the mother of Jesus, several other men, and the brothers of Jesus. So something happened between Jesus' life and death and here. And we get a hint of what happened with actually Paul. Paul in Corinthians says this. Then he was seen by James and later by all the disciples. Now this is, he's talking about the resurrection, when Jesus was risen. So James and his brothers, well actually it says, James saw Jesus when he was resurrected and then told his brothers. So what we see here is that James encountered Jesus when he was risen and he was resurrected. And what was James's response to seeing the resurrected Christ? Finding the disciples and praying with them. That was his response. James's whole life changes when he encounters the resurrected Jesus. 
And James's first act when he encounters the resurrected Jesus is to pray with the disciples. For James, prayer is the act of connecting and being a witness to the resurrected Christ. Connecting with Jesus is an act of faith. Why? Because we're saying we don't have the solutions, Jesus does. It's saying our primary goal is to look to Jesus, center our lives on Jesus, and on him and his kingdom, not our own. We are placing our faith in Jesus, and prayer is connecting with Jesus. For James, he wanted to connect with his brother. He wanted to connect with the Messiah. And how was he going to do that? He was going to do that through prayer. How are we doing? Okay. I want to stop right there for a second and I want to pause. Because I don't want to blow past like encountering the resurrected Christ is a small event. And so if right now you're feeling this like tug on your heart, if you're going, oh my gosh, encountering the resurrected Christ changes lives. I want to tell you that's probably the Holy Spirit talking to you right now. Because what we find is that when we open the Bible and we proclaim the gospel, something births inside of us, and that is the gospel story. And so right now, if you're having that feeling, I want to invite you to nurture that. I want to invite you to keep your ears open to the Holy Spirit talking to you right now as I continue in the sermon. Okay, so... In this passage now that we've got, it's not up there. I don't know why I looked. But in this passage, we see James talking about prayer and the way in which we can pray primarily in three ways. And we're going to go through them. The first one is that we pray holistically. What do I mean by this? I mean that the kingdom of God comes and touches every area of our life. Just like we said in the beginning, James is concerned about faith touching every aspect of our life because the kingdom of God touches every single aspect of our life, not just some of it, all of it. And so when we pray, it includes physical healing and our physical bodies and our spiritual inner lives. Right? In the vineyard, you will find us annoyingly, annoyingly committed to the radical middle where we are not trying to um, go and exclude one or the other. We are constantly, constantly holding things in tension because there's paradoxes in the kingdom of God and we need to be able to live in that tension. This is what it means to be holistic. So prayer in this passage includes both praying when we are suffering. By the way, this word suffering that James used is used in the Old Testament to describe both external events that are happening, like losses, tragedy, as well as internal existential feelings of suffering. Right? This is a holistic 
matter that James is talking about. When we ask the elders to come and pray for us and ask for physical healing with oil, that's holistic. We're constantly holding the both and tension here. Prayer includes every single aspect of our life. There's, I, um, I'm one of those people that's literally paid to pray. I am what you would call a professional prayer person, okay? Literally. I never thought I would be it, but I am. I don't know how. But I work as a chaplain. And oftentimes, I will be sitting with a patient. And this one time I was sitting with a patient. And he, I know that he had just gone through an immense amount of tragedy and he was suffering. I know that because the nurses told me the losses that he endured. When I went into that room, I was there for about 10 minutes, and he wasn't giving me nothing. Flat affect, showing no emotion, not wanting to talk about anything. And I, at the end, I resigned myself. I was like, I, I am not good enough. I can't get this person to open up, which is also the wrong way to think. We're not trying to get people to open up. You know. But at the end, I said, hey, would it be helpful if I prayed with you? And he was like, sure, whatever. I was like, okay. <laughs> I was like, I don't have to. But I did. And I prayed the most general prayer. I didn't know what to pray for. I asked him what he wanted to pray for. He was like, anything. And I was like, okay. So I just said, God, we come before you, and we just want to open up this space to you right now. And I said, Holy Spirit, I ask that you come and just be with so-and-so. And um, I said some other stuff, I can't remember. But really, nothing, just, you know, that's all I said. And I opened up my eyes. And by the way, this is why you should pray with your eyes open. He was crying. He had tears streaming down his face. And I will tell you, I can't count the amount of times I've prayed with people and after, at the end of the visit, and I spent another hour with him. I spent another hour with this man afterwards because God was doing something inside of him that was healing him. He was suffering. We prayed. God drew near, came close to him. God started healing him. Not in the sense that there was something wrong with him or he needed to be fixed. He was healing him because he was able to be authentic with God. I want to say something else about this because I think this is also really important. The healing that we see receive now, and James doesn't say the healing that we receive and the prayers that we pray are complete. That means if we receive healing, don't mistake it for thinking that everything is going to be perfect and everything is well because we still live on this side of the kingdom. The healing we receive is a foretaste of the kingdom to come. We live in the now and the not yet of the kingdom. George Alden Land, a hugely influential New Testament scholar, says it like this. The life and fellowship of the church, I missed it out, is to be a foretaste of the life of the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is invading us from the future. And so when God is coming and healing, it's a foretaste of the coming kingdom invading our space now. In worship, did you feel a weight in the room? 
I felt a weight in the room at the end. I don't want to call her out, but Tori had tears in her eyes. And I noticed that there was a weight in the room. That is the spirit moving amongst us. That is the spirit saying, right now, this is a foretaste of the coming kingdom. Okay, how are we doing? I'm preaching. I'm just going to, I'm not going to lie. I feel like I'm preaching today and I'm on it. Okay. All right. Um, next one we're doing. The second one. So we've done first one. Prayer is holistic. It includes physical and inner healing. Second, prayer is relational. We pray relationally. I, I'm so thankful I included this. And I'm so thankful Linda said something about community because I was like, oh, it's a good thing I included community. Um, so, but prayer happens in community. Prayer is relational. We can't only do prayer by ourselves, but others, with others. In fact, James doesn't say to pray by yourself in the scripture. That's, I'm not saying that you shouldn't, but I'm saying James is primarily concerned about the communal nature of prayer in this. Prayer is about connecting with Jesus and one another. Because guess what? When we receive that healing, we get to involve someone and they get to be witnesses to what we're going through. They get to see us going through that. And guess what? That's probably going to change them too. Have you ever seen a miracle happen and it didn't happen to you, but you were left inspired, you were left with a burning sensation inside of your heart? Right? That's because we become witnesses to the kingdom of God happening in action, even if it's not happening to us. James encountered Jesus when he was resurrected. It happened to him personally, but Jesus didn't only re resurrect for James himself, right? James was part of the community that witnessed it. And James then becomes a witness through his actions with others. So this happens in a communal setting. This is why things such as prayer meetings in the morning, life groups, women's Bible study, everything we do in the church is relationally driven. We are coming together and joining our lives together as witnesses of the kingdom of God. The other reality of this and the other one of my favorite sayings, and I titled my sermon this, so I should mention it. Everyone gets to pray. Everyone gets to pray. We have incredible people that come up every Sunday morning that have stepped out and said, we want to pray with you. And they've received some training in how to pray. But the reality is, just like James said, call the elders. James said, call the elders, not because they have some spiritual, special anointing. He said that because at that time, the elders were people that had devoted their lives to go out and assist people in those matters. So, like, there were other believers that could have, but the elders were ones that were earmarked to say, okay, we're going to sacrifice our day to come out to these people. Right? It wasn't because they were spiritually, specially anointed more so than someone else. In the vineyard, we strongly, strongly believe that everyone gets to play and everyone gets to pray. We are a priesthood of all believers. So if you're here this morning and you think, I suck at praying, join the club. Oh my gosh, join the club. Most of my prayers are really bad prayers. 
Really, really bad prayers. My faith is not in my prayer. My faith is in a person. My faith is in Jesus. Okay, last one, and then we're going to do communion. Oh, I love communion. Okay, so last one. And this one is the most nuanced one, so stay with me. I know we're at the end. We're at 11.11. Give me four more minutes. We pray with faith. Okay, James emphasizes this. James says to pray with faith. Now, I want to talk about this because this can get complicated, right? And if it's not handled well, it can be a train wreck. I used to pastor close to a, a big church that really emphasized that the degree to your healing was directly resulted to how much faith you had in the ability to be healed. So when people weren't healed, it meant that they didn't have enough faith. And that can become very dangerous. But at the same time, faith is involved in praying. Firstly, I want to distinguish the difference between belief and faith. Okay, this is important. Belief is an intellectual endeavor. Faith is a relational one. What do I mean by that? Faith is who or what we set our hearts on. And because of that, there's a relational aspect to it. We have faith in lots of things, not just Jesus. I have faith. I have faith that my car is going to get me home. I have faith in my car, right? Sometimes I'm wrong about that, but I have faith in it. But what we're saying when we have faith in Jesus is we're saying we're placing Jesus as the number one thing we have faith of, faith in in our lives. Faith is both long-term and includes moments of immaculate grace. So having faith can include moments when we receive divine healing and miracles, but grace also includes persevering and being patient with Jesus. Just like James said last week, that when we are suffering, we are to be patient. Again, it's the both and tension of living in the kingdom of God. I want to keep on coming back to that. Faith can include doubt. I can't tell you how many times I've prayed and not had a full amount of belief that that miracle was going to happen, but it happened anyway. There's one time I was praying for someone after a church service, and she came up to me and she said, I've been having the worst migraines for the past month. She didn't have medical insurance, so she couldn't go to a doctor. So um, she had just been taking pills, and it just was persisting and persisting. And I was like, oh, yeah, sure, let's pray. So I laid my hand on her head, and I was like, Holy Spirit, come. We proclaim healing in Jesus' name. And I was like, oh, right, and... And I was not believing at all. I did not think that this was going to happen. And she went, I just did it once, by the way. And she went, oh, my gosh, it's gone. And I was like, whoa, that's awesome. I just, I thought maybe she was just like 
maybe it wasn't that big of a deal. Maybe she had like more of a minor headache, not really a big migraine. And I was like, oh, that's awesome. She stopped me and she said, no, I can tell you don't believe me right now. <laughs> and she said, I need you to know, I've had this migraine for a month. This is the first time that I've experienced no migraine. And I went, holy. And I actually, I actually did swear. And, and I was like, something happened. And it wasn't me. Absolutely wasn't me. Absolutely not. But something happened. And what happened was the Holy Spirit happened. The Holy Spirit connected us to Jesus, even when I doubted it. But what I was willing to do is I was willing to pray. And that's what James is saying to do. James isn't prescribing a type of prayer. He's not telling us, giving us a blueprint plan. James is saying, pray. And so if our faith leads us to anything, it's this. Take the step and pray even when you have no idea what is going to happen. Leave that to Jesus. Faith in, again, we, we often say faith is called R-I-S-K. That means that just have enough faith to be willing to take a step to risk, be looking like a fool or getting it wrong or whatever. Because more often than not, we see Jesus come through in those times. Cool. That went over a little bit. Okay. The other thing I want to say is, is James mentions Elijah. And this is important because in that time, Elijah was seen as a hero, a prophet, someone who was superhuman, spiritually anointed, more so than anyone else. Par Jesus. And, and James goes out of his way to say, he could have said, be like Elijah in this way, because Elijah would pray and rain would fall. Elijah would pray and rain would stop. It seemed like he had this special connection with God, right? And he had these crazy dreams and crazy prayers, and they all seemed to work. James doesn't say, this is how you become like Elijah. He says, this is how Elijah is like you. He is human like you. No one is more spiritually anointed than anyone else when it comes to prayer. We are all human, and that's what James is saying. Are you human? You can pray. Prayer is one of the most human things we can do. That is what James is saying. Elijah is like us. We don't need to become like Elijah. Elijah is like us. We're becoming like Jesus. Okay, I want to leave you with this last quote by Henry Nowen. It says, To pray is to walk in the full light of God and to simply say without holding back, I am human and you are God. That is what it means to pray.